This is Malia Brown, and I am so grateful to bring you Many Ways to Peace. Thank you for amplifying peace just by listening. So today, as we listen to the lives of those around us and the way they're amplifying peace in the world, peace in their own lives, um, we have Professor Mark Cohen, who is also known as Dr. Mark in Australia. He's one of the leading foremost individuals in integrative medicine. Today, he's going to share with us some new projects that he has underway, which we're very excited to hear about. And um, Dr. Mark, if you'd be willing to share with our listeners a little bit more about you, we'd appreciate that. Sure. Well, thanks for the invitation. Um, so, yeah, I started off in medicine 35 years ago. Um, with an idea that I wanted to explore wellness. I wanted to learn about wellness for my own life and how I could have the most happy and fulfilling life. And this led me on this you know, three decades of, of learning. And I went through Western medicine and Chinese medicine. Then I studied electrical computer systems engineering. Then I studied lifestyle and integrative medicine. And for the last 16 years, I've been a professor of health sciences at RMIT University, which is one of Australia's largest universities, and exploring uh, different lifestyle practices, so yoga, meditation, herbal medicine, nutrition, uh, and currently I'm doing a lot of research into health retreats, into um, sauna bathing, ice bathing, um, herbal teas, and looking at ways that people can build wellness into their lives. And uh, yeah, so I've been pretty much an academic doctor for the last yeah, 16 years as a, as a professor, but I've also done a lot of work in the community. I've run festivals and events. I've been very involved with the spa and wellness industry. I've been on the board of the Global Wellness Summit since its inception 11 years ago. And looking at the wellness industry and the spa industry was a real eye-opener for me because it was the first industry I, I saw that really had you know, wellness as its raison d'etre, you know, as its focus. And um, right now I've, I've, you know, I realised early on, I, I mean, I went into medicine as, a, as a, um, a selfish intent to learn how I could be healthy and well. And then I've realised wellness is about the we, not about the I. So for me to be well, you know, I need everyone around me to be well. It's really hard to be healthy and well and, and peaceful when there's chaos around you or the disease or depression and sickness around you. So, um, you know, as I've matured, I've, I've realised, you know, what can I do to in, improve the health and well-being of, of my communities? And, and again, as I've matured, I realised my community is the global community. And what I've put my finger on now is the biggest impact that you can have for global health and well-being is to provide access to water, just clean, flowing water. And that's not just a survival uh, need. You know, there's nearly a billion people on Earth, one in seven people or so, who don't have access to clean water to drink. But there's one in three people on Earth don't have access to clean water to bathe in. And bathing is absolutely critical for prevention of disease and for public health and hygiene. Um, and there's no other health intervention you can you can do. There's no medical technology. There's no vaccine or uh, medical technology or pharmaceutical drug that would have the health benefit of just simply hygiene of, of people washing. 
but then you realize that our contact with water is our basic contact with nature. Water is what connects us all to each other. We're all sharing the same water. And water um, is, you know, it's a peaceful activity. Bathing is very peaceful, it's social, it's multicultural. And bathing isn't just about prevention of disease and, and um, treating disease. It's about human dignity. It's about, you know, feeling good about yourself. And, you know, if, when you think that one in three people on earth don't have the ability to just wash themselves and, and feel good about themselves and have some dignity and comfort, then that's, you know, it's, it's an indictment on the whole, glo you know, the global community. The how, how do we get this so wrong? that you know, one in three people on earth don't have this basic human comfort, this human need. So um, yeah, my focus now is, is I'm doing research on bathing and doing that, but we've set up a Bathe the World Foundation where we aim to ac give access to one bucket of water a day for everyone on earth. And um, we've got a whole lot of different initiatives around that. Um, so I'm working with the bathing industry, um, with hot springs around the world, which is sort of the the one industry that really focuses on bathing, but also the hospitality industry to actually um, align with other water charities. And a lot of other water charities are focusing on water for drinking, which is absolutely vitally important for survival. Uh, but we're trying to expand that conversation because everybody bathes who has access to water, you know, two, two, two thirds of the world bathe, but they take it for granted almost. Mm. And when you bathe as an individual, you can actually transform your own health just through that contact with water. So I've been exploring um, hot and cold showers or sauna bathing and ice bathing. And what, we re what I'm realising is pretty much anything you can do with pharmaceutical drugs, you can do with changing your um, relationship to water. So, you know, you can stress your body out in a sauna or an ice bath um, and turn on really powerful physiological uh, adaptive processes, but also in neutral water, in thermoneutral water, in a warm bath, you know, maybe with some salt in it where you can you float, you can be more relaxed, you can actually be more peaceful than you can be in any other situation. Um, and that's got um, a lot of physiology behind it because of the weightlessness and the way that the water pressure affects your body and redistributes blood into your core um, and takes the pressure off your joints. And also just the connection with water. We're 99% water. Because water is this tiny little molecule compared to all these other massive you know, biomolecules, you know, proteins and nucleic acids, and collagen, et cetera. And all our cells and all our other molecules are bathed in water. So we're 99% water in terms of the number of molecules. And our contact and relationship with water is one of the most intimate relationships we have with, any, with our environment. And it's also something that we all share. So... Yeah, I've been focusing on water. How do we uh, change our relationship with water as individuals? You know, by, by just maybe turning the cold shower on and and um, at the end of the shower and, and changing our own physiology or going into a, a sauna and then into an ice bath. And then how do we change that globally? How can we provide you know, a bucket of water a day for everyone on earth? And it sounds like a very simple uh, Thing to do but it's um, we're very far from that goal with that one in three people not having access at the moment well and 
what a beautiful um, concept that you're bringing up and to bring it into the world as a reality for individuals, right? There are two different places to be. There's one to think about what's available and what's possible. And then when we think about how to bring that into the world, yeah. Yeah, yeah and when you think about for individuals, um, you know, if you have access to water, um, you know, often you know, it's, it's taken for granted. It's, it's um, yeah, I mean, th there is a bit of a focus, I know, in the United States about the quality of drinking water. You know, there was, you know, a lot of um, issues with contamination and, you know, flint and lead and um, other things in water. So it's, when you think about, it's a third world problem of people having access to clean drinking water, it's actually becoming a first world problem too. And that's because water is becoming more and more polluted. Mm. You know, the, the amount of water on earth is very, very limited. There's an incredible infographic where if you see the, the earth um, is, the, is roughly the size of a basketball, then all the water on earth, if the earth was the size of a basketball, would only be the size of a ping pong ball. Wow. So there's not that much water on earth. But then that ping pong ball is all the water on earth. And 97.5% of that water is ocean water, salty ocean water. So all the fresh water on Earth is actually the size of a small marble compared to the basketball of the Earth. But most of that fresh water is locked up in the ground or in ice caps. So if the Earth was the size of a basketball, all the liquid fresh water on Earth would be the size of a small mustard seed. So that small mustard seed of liquid fresh water represents all the rivers and lakes and all the living organisms on the planet that we share this in a tiny little bit of liquid fresh water and that liquid fresh water is becoming increasingly polluted with you know, industrial activity and you know human activity so you know access to clean um, water is actually becoming a global issue not just for the third world but for all of us um, and that's to drink but then you know as I say we are water and access to bathing um, is a, a general issue that, that's also part of the hospitality industry. And when you, when you buy a hotel room, you know, you're buying a bath or a shower with it. Um, and the beauty industry, which is about, you know, personal hygiene, it's about looking good and feeling good and, you know, smelling good and having comfort and dignity and identity, um, which are you know, really basic human values. And I think it's very hard to be at peace when you're, you know, when you're not well, but also, <laughs> You know, it's hard to be at peace if you, if you can't wash, if you stink, if you don't feel good about yourself, if you don't, you know, have some basic dignity about, um, you know, how you present in the world. So, yeah, this is a, you know, it's a really critical issue. And, you know, on the back of the envelope, um, you know, you calculate, it, might, it would cost about $240 billion to provide a bucket of water of, for everyone on earth. And you know, that's a big number, but I think that's achievable. You know, I'm, I'm very optimistic, mind you. But I think you know, that, you know, to set up a colony on Mars would cost of that order of magnitude, and there's other projects that you know, we're considering you know, in, the, in that order of magnitude. And 240 billion is, you know, you know, the top 10 richest people on earth got together, they'd have it in a, in a heartbeat. So yeah, I, I think this is achievable. And 
do you think that um, everybody is at the same, you mentioned, you know, you arrived here kind of through a level of your own maturity and a level of your own wisdom over time. And do you think that other people in the world are in that same mindset with you? I mean, when you mentioned dignity, for example, right? And how yeah. water and washing is basically a basic dignity. Mm -hmm. You know, do you think that um, people who don't have access to that know have an, have an awareness of that dignity? That if they had just had that, or is that something we're going to be bringing to them, you know, in the conversation of the water itself? Well, well, I, well, I think, you know, if you don't have water to drink, and if you're literally, you know, starving, or you don't have food to eat, then, you know, dignity is a second, you know, it's a luxury. Yeah. Um, you know, then you're just on survival mode. But then once you have that, that you know, basic survival covered, then it's about, you know, what are your hopes and aspirations and, and who are you and can you have that comfort and dignity? So I think it is a, you know, it's a stage up, it's an evolution. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to, to think that there are so many people that don't have access to that. <clears throat> I mean, the, the, you know, the numbers are staggering. About a thousand children will die every day just because of um, unclean water. Mm. <clears throat> and then you've got... um. It's estimated that, that mainly women and, and, and girls will spend 200 million hours every single day just to collect water. And most of that water is not, not especially clean. So, I mean, you think of how that time could be used in terms of you know, education or you know, other, other productive pursuits rather than just providing access to water. And... You know, if you're just providing access to water to survive, that's, that's at a very basic level. But then if you think about, um, you know, your own relationship to water, I mean, water is fun. I mean, you know, it's, I don't think there's anything you can give to someone that, that is as much, you know, just simple fun of, you know, be able to splash around in water. You know, you think about going to the beach or swimming or... Um, just that feeling of when you're parched or dirty, just you know, just to wallow around in water. It's it's um, it's it's built into our you know, our biology that you know water is is um, an access into our humanity. So I think you know I think we do have to bring the world along. I mean I mean there's lots of fantastic water charities that are that are providing access to water for drinking. Um, but what I'd like to see and do is to try and disrupt the bathing industry and, and you know, raise consciousness. So every time people have a shower or, or, or bathe, realise that you know, that's not available to everybody and somehow contribute to that consciousness or contribute in a material way to allow other people to have that same access. Well, and certainly if you think about it from that perspective and, you know, having the individual bather, just being consciously aware of this is an amazing opportunity here that I have bathing in this shower this morning, right? Mm -hmm. And it, it, I mean, even if it comes back to the numbers with the 240 billion, it's really not that hard to raise a dollar from every person who got to take a shower this morning. Sure. And, right? and you know, we've got some projects like that. So we've um, <clears throat> we've got, we've raised a petition, and we're we're petitioning the United Nations to create World Bathing Day for June twenty second. Okay. Um, which will just be a, a day to focus on. You know, I mean, there's a lot of 
you know, there's World Television Day and there's World, there is actually already World Water Day, um, which is March 22nd. But um, we want to have a day specifically focused on, on bathing because bathing is not just, um, you know, as I say, a biological function, a need for, you know, for health and prevention and dignity. It's also embedded into our culture and our spirituality. Pretty much every culture has rituals around bathing and spiritual traditions have rituals around you know, water or whether it's baptism or being anointed or you know, you know, using water as a, as a spiritual token. So you know, that connection with water is a, um, a connection across cultures, across um, different religions, um, across regions. And as I say, you know, if you look at the, the, the planet as a, as a single unit, which I think people are starting to do, and when you realise climate change and, and all, you know, pollution and all these other global issues, you, know, you have to start looking at the, the planet as a whole system. Then you know, our, our distribution of water becomes absolutely central to, to life on Earth. Um, and there's, there's a lot of traditions that you know, talk about, you know, um, in Chinese tradition, they say, you know, when you get the water flowing right, everything else follows. You know, or you know, the the Tao is the watercourse way. You know, we have to emulate water in how it flows and how it connects. So I think, you know, on a global level, if we can get water right, then we can do. You know, we can you know, get everything else right. Yeah, that's a beautiful concept. I mean, there are so many ways in our language how we talk about flow, right? Whether it's we talk about athletes being in the zone or in the flow, or if we talk about, you know, life flowing better for us or staying in the flow of our own lives, you know, if, if we actually attribute it to water, it's, it's very um, powerful to see how we as water could connect greater with water and others in our world population. Yeah, absolutely. This idea of flow is really, is really central now to psychology. You know, when you're in that flow, then, then your, your authentic natural self, you know, performing at the highest level of functioning. Yeah. And literally, I mean, if we are water, then you're literally flowing water. And there's, there's a lot of research around water. And, and you know, I don't know how technical you want to go, but um, a couple of years ago, I was at the, uh, I was invited to speak at the, International Conference on the Physics, Chemistry and Biology of Water. And that was in Bulgaria run by a Professor Gerald Pollack, who's a professor at the University of Washington. And he talks about the fourth phase of water beyond solid, liquid and gas, or vapour, um, as you know, a gel phase of water, which is what happens in biological you know, cells, where we have this sort of you know, jelly phase of water that, that is structured water. And if you think about it, if we're 99% water by, you know, in terms of the number of our molecules, you know, how come we aren't sloshing around as a puddle on the floor? And that is because, <laughs> we, you know, we, you know at the water in our body is structured around these biological molecules that so forms this sort of intelligent gel that, that is our bodies. And there's still many anomalies. I think there's 72 scientific anomalies of things we don't understand about the physics of water that we're, you know, we're still trying to unravel and, and you know, our understanding water is really understanding ourselves. You know? You know, the Oracle of Delphi said, know thyself. So if we, have, if we were to know thyself, we have to know water. And if you think even about climate change and the issues around that, a lot of it about, is about how, how does water distribute, you know, whether it's you know, rains or droughts 
or cyclones and weather patterns. This is all movement of water. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, and, and we also talk of it in terms of the fountain of youth, right? We, we go yes. looking for the fountain of youth when, you know, truly the nature of our own being has water within it. As you mentioned, the gel states. And I, you know, I, my background is I've spent a little time uh, researching water structures and hexagonal water, you know, the fact yes. that it's a hexagonal yeah. molecule. And would you, do you, can you address that in any way? Well, that's, that's when they talk about exclusion zone water. So water, when it, it comes up against an interface um, of another structure, of another substance, it forms this layer that is hexagonal, hexagonal um, sheets. And those hexagonal sheets line up and form this gel phase. And they call it the exclusion zone because that phase excludes solutes. So any salt or dissolved substance gets excluded. So there's a sort of very small layer that is pure water. And if you look at the hexagonal structure, it's actually not H2O anymore. It's actually H3O2. So that the ratio actually changes in this layer. And, and this has been you know, well written about. Um, you can look up Gerald Pollack has a book called The Fourth Phase of Water. And there's a TED talk on it. And there's a lot of science around that. So this is not just sort of very, very stuff. This is um, you know, very solidly based. And the, these hexagonal structures can also um, retain memory um, that you know they have a, um, a coherence so you know, that then forms the basis for um, you know when life formed on earth um, of heredity because once you have um, a physical structure that can have an autocatalytic cycle that um, you know, have these chemistry that you know, goes around in circles and um, has auto um, you know um, catalytic how you say it um, catalytic process, mm -hmm. yeah, catalysis, <laughs> yeah. Then, then that is, um, allows for Darwinian selection to, to pick the best catalytic cycles to, to be maintained. And that, that's how life can form. So this you know, hexagonal structure of water that forms along um, other surfaces um, is um, essentially what happens in all our membranes, in our mitochondria. I mean, we've got layers and layers of membranes um, in our organelles that have, have this structured water. And that's basically how um, biological systems um, are created. So, I mean, the, the, there's, so we're still learning about this, but um, the water within us um, is not just you know, the, the water that we drink, it, it's structured in a very simple, in a very special way. And in fact, um, there's literally a well in our being. Because if you look at the, just the, the simple reaction of respiration, where you take glucose and you burn it with oxygen, for every molecule of glucose you burn, you produce six molecules of water. So we actually produce our own water. I think it's about half a litre a day that we actually produce for our own metabolism. And... And even the language says that, so you know, there's a well in our being. If we think about a well as a source of water and being well is you know, being our authentic self, um, you know, the language tells us that they're connected. And you know, the idea of you know, being well or being wealthy, you know, we all want to be wealthy, so what does that mean? Um, and you know, being well, you know, a well is a source of water. And if you think about how um, water is you know, treated in different languages and different cultures, it's, it's got this profound um, 
connection to all of life. I mean, it's a solvent. It, it's a solution. You know, if you've got a problem, water is the, the ultimate solution, um, both literally and, and I think figuratively as well. So if you look at the global problems we have and, and you know, the problems around peace and around disharmony, um, you know, water provides a, a solution for that. And if we get access to water right, then a lot of the other problems become much more manageable or they can literally dissolve. Yeah, certainly our focus changes, um, right? When we're looking at the solution of water, we tend to start looking at how to create even healthier water immediately. And exactly, we, yeah. yeah. Rather, rather, rather just then distribute food or deliver, you know, medicines. If mm -hmm. we think about getting the water right for people, then you know it makes sense to do it locally. And there's some amazing, you know, very low cost, low tech, um, you know solutions that can effectively um, desalinate water, pull water out of the air and provide, you know, clean water in pretty much any environment. But it's just a matter of getting the, you know, the, the resources and the political will and the, you know, the entrepreneurs and the technologists to actually deliver these solutions pretty much everywhere, everywhere they're needed. Yeah, and it, it, for me, I can't help but think that um, maybe some of the conversations around global health and, for example, you know, the melting of the ice caps is the Earth's way of trying to say we need more water and we're going to have to do it in a way that is befitting everyone around us. Yeah, so it's actually not about getting more water because the water is limited. We've only got this like mustard seed level of water, you know, mm. of liquid fresh water, but it's how we distribute that and and... Yeah, whether it's in ice caps or in, um, you know, the oceans or in lakes or rivers or in our bodies. It's, you know, how do we distribute that so everyone has access? And it's such a simple thing. I mean, just to think, you know, to have a bucket of water a day, you know, you've got a couple of litres you can drink and the rest you can cook with and wash, even just a bucket bath. It, it, it totally can transform how you feel about yourself. And, and similarly, if, you've, if you're in the first world, um, you can transform how you feel about yourself by changing the temperature of the water. And I've, I've been working with um, Wim Hof, you know, the, the, they call him the Iceman. He's a Dutch daredevil that spends two hours in an ice bath and he's climbed Everest in Kilimanjaro in his board shorts and run marathons in the Arctic Circle. And he, he's really sort of pushing the limits of what we thought is possible in terms of our physiology. And, and what he shows is that you know, by using mental focus, and the breath and access to the cold. And, you know, the cold is a really powerful um, analgesic, anti-inflammatory and, and a powerful psychological barrier. Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, part of the reason that um, Wim Hof's method is for himself became such a strong, powerful, because he was experiencing some very serious disharmony within himself after the loss of his wife. Yes, true. Right? Yeah. And so isn't it amazing that transformation included water? It included, you know, cold water and, and, and anti-inflammatory, as you mentioned. Yeah. You know, that's really accessible for everybody. And, and I've, I've been talking about this for you know, a couple of years now and working, you know, with women and on projects. And I've just um, done a tour with him in Australia a couple of months ago where I was giving a lecture on the science behind the Wim Hof method and you know, I've put that up on my website now. But um, one of the things that I've realized is you know, people have a, a lot of anxiety and fear around 
you know, just just the cold. Um, but it, it can be so powerful. So I've, I've actually created this little song and dance and, and part of the Bathe the World Foundation, we're going to actually create this as a global sort of challenge. But it's, it's the cold water hokey pokey dance. And it's, you know, once you hear about the hokey pokey people, if they know the song, you know, that you'll laugh or smile initially. But what it, what it, what it involves is, is, you know, having a, no, a normal hot shower, um, you know, so you, you know, wash up and have a nice hot shower. And then, you know, you turn the heat up even further. So you're getting quite flushed and feeling very hot. And, and that what that does, it opens up all your blood vessels which are normally not under your voluntary control. Mm-hmm. You've got about 100,000 kilometres of blood vessels in your body, all lined by smooth muscle, which are under autonomic control. So you don't, can't voluntarily change that. But if you, you know, go into a really hot shower, they'll all open up. And then to transform that, you turn the hot water off and the cold water on. And rather than just going under and giving yourself a shock of the cold water, what you do is you just wet your left foot and leg and then your right foot and leg, and then your left hand and arm and the other hand and arm. And that initial um, cold water on your limbs, what that does, it, it contracts the blood vessels in your limbs and pushes extra warm blood into your core. So even though you've know, you sort of put cold water on your body, you're not feeling cold. Your, your core still feels quite warm and you've got extra blood going through your organs. And then... You know, the verse of you keep breathing calmly and you smile to yourself because that's what it's all about. <laughs> and, 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 that's, and that's also really important because when you go into cold, your initial um, entry into cold water, what that does, it recreates the breath pattern of anxiety or panic or trauma. Because when you go into cold water, you, you know, it forces you to gasp and you naturally hyperventilate. That's your autonomic response. But if you can overcome that and say, look, okay, I'm getting cold, but I'm going to be in control, I'm going to be relaxed, and I'm going to breathe calmly, you can overcome that panic response and feel really relaxed in this uncomfortable situation. And, you know, when you're talking about peace, this is, you're trying to find the peace within you, even though the outside world is chaotic or, you know, um, discomfort. So you're consciously putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation, but you're remaining peaceful. And so and what the cold water hokey pokey dance does, it allows you to do that very gradually. So you start with your, your legs and your, and your arms. You know, you put your left side in and then your right side in, then your front side in, and then you turn yourself around and you keep breathing calmly and you smile to yourself because that's what it's all about. And that way, you've, you know, you've cooled your body down. And then the, you know, the next verse is, you, you know, you put your whole head in. And then, you know, you shake your whole head around and stand still and just get, get a drenching and then slowly turn yourself around continue breathing calmly and smile to yourself and that's what it's all about and then you, and then by the time you've done that you're actually feeling good and you can then sing you know, oh hokey pokey do the hokey pokey song and you can put the cold water on your pulse points on your on your groin and on your armpits um, and on your kidneys and you'll find that you'll be dancing around in the cold shower and it's not traumatic and you'll be breathing calmly and you've overcome this stressful situation in a very peaceful relaxed way and that whole song and dance takes about a minute, a minute and a half. And it's, you know, if you've got access to a shower, it's very accessible. It doesn't cost any money. In fact, you save money because you're using less hot water. Um, and, and it's quite tra- a transformative practice. And recently they did a, some research in the Netherlands where they got just over 3,000 people 
to do a hot shower followed by a cold shower. And they did that for 30 days. And the cold shower, they randomized them to either have a cold shower for 30, 60, or 90 seconds. And after 30 days, what they found is the people who had a hot shower without the cold shower had 29% more sick days than the people who had a cold shower after their hot shower. And it didn't matter whether it was 30, 60, or 90 seconds. And I think the reason that is because once, once you've had a cold shower for 30 seconds, you've overcome that, that panic breath and you've had to relax and, and you know, um, still your breathing. So you've, you've got that benefit. And even just the, the conscious act of saying, I'm going to be at peace, I'm going to be relaxed and go into this stressful environment of a cold shower, um, and I'm in control of that, is a really powerful psychological um, accomplishment. So it gives you a feeling of self-worth, of self-efficacy, of things, you know, I can do this. And if you, know, if you can consciously put yourself in an uncomfortable situation, be at peace, then that trains your adaptive processes. So when other uncomfortable situations happen in the rest of your life, you feel more able to handle them. So this is, you know, this is a powerful psychological practice. There's a lot of um, physiology that gets turned on. So you've, you've dilated all your blood vessels and you've constricted all your blood vessels. You've increased the, the blood flow to your core. Um, and then if you stay in the cold shower for, for a little bit longer, then you've chilled your body down. You can t that turns your metabolism up. So it exercises your thyroid gland and your basal metabolism increases. So there's a lot of um, changes, positive changes that can happen um, by consciously putting yourself under stress but remaining at peace. And I think that you know, as an exercise is a really simple, powerful, cost-effective um, thing that people can you know, do you know, in the privacy of their own home, um, totally under their own control, but it can actually train their um, adaptive mechanisms so they can be at peace in other situations that maybe are outside their control. And that's, you know, that's another way that, you know, sort of, you know, it's a, it's a bathing practice, very simple bathing practice that can really transform how people act in the world and, and how much peace they're able to achieve in their own life as an individual. So that's something, as I say, you know, I'm trying to disrupt the bathing industry and say, look, you know, bathing is a way to not just world peace, but personal peace. Um, and, you know, you can do the same thing with the heat. Um, you know, the fins have been doing that for years and they go into a sauna and there's, there's this point at, you know when you go into a sauna um, where all you can do is just breathe and exist there and yet you find that peace within even though it's quite stressful you know that the heat is putting stress on your body um, and you know, accessing that peace within when there's external stress being put on your body is a really powerful exercise um, there's a process they call hormesis, which is when you've got um, you know, a little bit of stress um, or a toxic substance or something can actually enhance your ability to handle stress or toxic substances, other toxic substances, because it trains your adaptive processes. So that's something you know people can do really easily, and you know to transform your relationship with water, then gets you thinking about what. You know, how else can I you know, change that? And it, you know, by changing the consciousness, so we're, doing, we're gonna be you know, focusing that around World Bathing Day, June 22nd. We're starting this year, this is the first year we're, we're, we're doing that throughout hot springs around the world. They're gonna have different bathing events and sunlight and sunrise and sunset 
um, events. And then we're planning a, a really exciting event that we're sort of super excited about, which is a, a gathering where we're going to try and figuratively bathe the world. We're going to, uh, the biggest hot spring on earth, the biggest naturally flowing hot spring on earth is in the dead centre of Australia, a place called Dalhousie Springs. And it's, I was there uh, just over a month ago. And it's pretty much in the middle of nowhere. It's like if you put your finger in the centre of the map of Australia, that's where it is. It's on the edge of the Simpson Desert. In the middle of this massive expanse of desert, there's the Dalhousie Springs. There's a series of massive lakes of hot water that come, coming out of the centre of Australia. And in June 22nd, 2020, we're going to have an event where we're going to bring a, some, a person from every nation on earth to, to bathe there and to literally, you know, to bathe the world. So have a, uh, an awareness-raising event, um, which is going to be, you know, it's in the, the largest hot spring on earth, in the remotest location, on the driest continent on earth, and it's going to be hosted by the oldest living culture on earth. Um, and we've just been talking with the um, Arente and the, you know, the local uh, Aboriginal um, communities there, who are, it's their land, I mean, they're the traditional owners, and they're going to host this event. And, you know, to bring a, a person from every nation on earth to, to just create a vision for a world where everyone has access to clean water to bathe in. And, um, you know, we're going to raise funds and raise awareness. Um, and, you know, it's almost like a vision quest to say, what does the world look like where everyone can bathe? And that's a very different world than we have right now. Well, and you've really brought up two great things that individuals have in addition to being able to do the actual practice of, you know, the hokey pokey in the shower or, you know, getting together in a worldwide event through the bathing communities, mm -hmm. you know, June 22nd, is the, the mental powers that we have of will and imagination. You know, if we're focusing our will, meaning that we can go in the bath and that we can actually experience a chaotic event or an event that enhances our nervous system for our fight or flight mechanism, but we can be peaceful inside, right? Mm -hmm. Then we strengthen the will, like you said, to be in any situation. Exactly. Where, yeah, where, right, where our sympathetic nervous system takes over our brain. And we know that that's a big part of um, maybe this evolution of humanity is that accessing our frontal lobe, accessing our parasympathetic nervous system, our ability to reason and rest and digest is such a mission critical part of enhancing peace within each person and then being able to transmit that to others. Because if we stay peaceful, well, then we well, know. And that's it. It's, 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 well, you've, hit, you know, you've hit it exactly. Now, how do we find that peace within? And that peace within is about accessing your parasympathetic nervous system. And you know, normally you think about, you know, we don't actively turn that on. Yeah. And I mean, we try to, you know, during mindfulness practice or yoga or, you know, meditation, you know, you're, you're activating parasympathetic nervous system. But to have, you know, very simple practices that people can do to access that and, and overcome, you know, the stress um, of life um, is, is, necessary nowadays to, to just maintain body and mind you know, together and just to be healthy. And yeah, um, yeah so that's that um, accessing your, your ability to be at peace in uncomfortable environments. Um, it isn't something we're taught and often we're taught that stress is the enemy yeah. um, and we have to counter stress 
and you know what I'm learning and you know with my work through WIM is saying that stress isn't necessarily the enemy what 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 is bad for us is uncontrolled chronic stress that you know it's out of our control and it's happening all the time well that that's actually not good for us and that's when you need to do mindfulness practices and yoga and meditation and eat well to and you know um, to, to counter that but we can use stress to our advantage by um, consciously and for a very focused short time putting ourselves under stress and training our bodies to handle it and to stay at peace and you do that by running I mean running is quite a stressful um, um, event you know on the body um, and in fact you know for our you know, ancient ancestors running was probably a life or death situation they're either running for their food and they don't get to eat or they're running away from something or someone who's trying to kill them. So, and you know, running you know, puts stress on the joints and on the muscles. It's, it's, it's a quite a stressful thing, but if you run regularly, you know, you train your body and you become better able to cope with other you know, stresses because your physiology has adapted. And similarly, you know, access to the cold or the hot um, through different bathing practices stresses us, but we can be totally in control of it. Because if you're in the cold shower, if you're in an ice bath or a sauna, you can get out anytime you want. It's up to you how long you stay there. It's similar to a sort of a yoga practice. When you, you know, people do yoga, they'll go into a, you know, what is generally an uncomfortable posture, you know, the edge of their stretch. And if you're just at that edge of the stretch and you just stay there and breathe, you can tolerate it. And it, it forces the whole body, mind and breath to, to act as a single unit. And then... You know, by doing that comfortably, sort of you're know, comfortable again in this uncomfortable situation, that allows your body to find ease in other situations that you're out of, not, not so much in control of. Well, and I think up until now, all those practices have been so body-centered, right? That maybe we weren't really present to the fact that we have a mental capacity to stretch mentally. And that we can, yeah, we can do that through practices. We can actually strengthen the muscle of our brain. We can strengthen the muscle of our parasympathetic nervous system to override the sympathetic nervous system, you know, so that whatever's happening is a matter of our five senses with our eyes, our ears, our nose, our smells, whatever it is out there doesn't impact the peace we have within, which is such a, a critical conversation in how much is going on in our world right now. And, and that's it's so important, you know, to, to exercise that willpower. And, and I mean, the, the cold water hokey pokey is such a simple thing to do, but the hardest part of it is actually the commitment and the decision to do it. Mm. You know, you can stand there in the shower, but unless you're actually going to commit to turning the, whole, you know, the, the cold water on and the hot water off and, and you know, slowly immersing yourself in it, um, you know, it's that, that mental switch to say, I'm going to commit to doing this. And then once you're committed to do it, it actually, it sort of happens on its own. And, and there's many, I mean, I've been doing it you know, every day for more than a year now. Um, and some mornings I don't feel like a cold shower, but I'll have my hot shower and then I'll just start with my feet, you know, one leg and the other leg. And then by the time I've done my legs and my arms, you know, you sort of, it's a muscle memory thing, but you know, you say, oh, that's not too bad. And then you go to the next verse and yeah, that's okay. And, and it just eases you into it. Um, but having that decision to do it um, exercises that mental muscle and then that can translate into the rest of your life where you have to make a decision to have a difficult conversation or to 
do something that you know you're procrastinating about and didn't really want to do so it just gives you that that um fortitude to say yes i can actually make a decision i can do what ne what needs to be done um and and it's as, as i say it's in the privacy of your own home it's you know you're totally in control of the situation but you're building that mental resilience that mental muscle and the ability to stay at peace when you know there's stress going on around you yeah it's just amazing it you know it brings me to a question that i was wondering all this time as i was thinking of speaking with you which is you know are humans genetically predisposed to peace and so there's not really a striving for it, but it's actually who we are as beings. And if you get something as simple as a hot water to cold water transition, it almost makes a case for it, that we're just genetically predisposed to this and we haven't come around to see that fully yet. Well, I think, I mean, if you go back to, I like to, I like to go back to first principles. And if you think about all of biology, we're genetically predisposed to homeostasis our bodies are designed to bring us back into balance. And if you, you know, um, I've got a model that I've been using for many years now, which I call the, the illness wellness vortex, where you visualize illness and wellness on a spectrum with wellness at the top and illness at the bottom. And it's a vortex, like a water going down a plug hole or like a tornado. And you know, as you go up, it gets wider. And that's your homeostatic range. That's the, your ability to cope with stress or external environmental extremes but within that you know that sort of vortex going you know up like a funnel there's this central core of stillness and that's when you achieve homeostasis and that's the axis of peace that's that's the still point within us that's the you know, the still point of meditation it's um that inner core of peace that is always there and present within us no matter what's whirling around us in our, the rest of our life. And, and our biology is programmed to actually push us back to homeostasis, to push us back to this point of stillness, of peace, of, of balance, of physiological balance. And when I've been exploring water, I realised that, um, you know, that point of stillness is also a point of, you know, what I like to think of as pure water. And that, point of stillness or that that pure water within me is the same as that pure water and stillness within you and everyone else and you know that the saying namaste you know i honor the place in you where the entire universe resides a place of love truth and bliss and when i'm in that place in me and you're in that place in you we are one well when you access that still point that place of peace um that pure water that's within you you are connecting with a universal truth, a universal source that's the same within everybody. So in that way, yeah, that, that peace within us is also something that connects all of us. Yeah, and then, you know, we can move right into the rest of the scientific conversation, not just on water, but in the quantum field, right? That we truly are connected. And it's interesting, yeah, when we look at it at a, you know, the microcosmic level of that we can see with a water molecule as opposed to something that we speculate on in the quantum conversation, mm -hmm. it, at least it's easy for people to acknowledge and translate that, right? That there's a, on the microcosmic level of water, we are one. Yes, and I think people need to hear this in their own 
language or in their own sort of conceptual framework. So some yeah. people like to, to, you know, to talk about it just within basic physiology. Other people like to t- talk about it into spiritual terms or, um, you know, quantum physics terms. And other people just want to know it in terms of practical terms of what happens in their life. And I think we have to um, translate these sort of truths into as many different, you know, languages and forums and, and conceptual systems as we can. Um, so we have this, you know, mutual understanding. And, you know, if we are going to, you know, create world peace, you know, I've, I've always said my mission is to realise worldwide wellness. And, to, you know, and the word realise is, to, is not just to realise it mentally, but it's to make it real. Mm-hmm. And thinking, you know, what does worldwide wellness look like? But certainly if we were going to have worldwide wellness, it would involve everybody you know, having a bath, <laughs> you know, everybody being able to wash, everyone having access to food and water and, you know, and, and feeling good about themselves. Um, and to provide that, I think, is totally achievable. I think there is, there's enough you know, money and resources and technology on earth to have everyone um, satisfy their basic needs for not just health, but for dignity and comfort and culture and spirituality. Um, and those needs are actually quite simple. Um, yet we're, we're, we're failing on that miserably at the moment. And I think, you know, there's a lot that we can improve on. And, um, you know, I'm doing what, you know, what I think I can and, and trying to promote bathing as, a, as an access. But there, there's many other paths that people can follow. Um, but I'm, I'm incredibly optimistic about what we can achieve within my lifetime. And, um, yeah, I've sort of made my commitment to say that's, you know, for me to be well, you know, for me to create the we, um, you know, it's, it's what can I do to impact on the most people? And, um, you know, I've always, I'm, I'm a, you know, I don't know how relevant it is, but I'm, I'm a born as a, under a water sign, Pisces, and, and um, I've always loved bathing. So, you know, I've found my happy place in promoting bathing and at all levels, both in the, in the physiology of bathing, research into bathing, you know, the, the extremes of temperature and, and just the comfort of, you know, um, thermoneutral bathing um, when you, you know, I love hot bathing in a hot spring. And as I say, you can, you can be more relaxed in hot water than you can in air um, just because of the, the hydrostatic forces. So that's, um, you know, that's, that's my path. But there's so many other ways people can um, achieve this, this in their own life, but also to, to create that in their own communities. And what I found is, you know, if wellness is about we, I get my greatest enjoyment. And I think that's um, true for, for most people is when you help other people access their own health and well-being and their own enjoyment so you know giving joy to other people um actually gives a lot of great enjoyment to you by in the act of giving it so it's not about the selfish act of you know what's in it for me it's a you know how can what's in it for we you know how can you know we all prosper together well i think i've, I've heard you say quite a few times during our conversation you know something is not just enjoyment it's fun right and i think this is a missing quality for so many people in their daily lives is that they can presence their passion and their commitment and what it is that they're up to even in the world of peace it can be fun right the hokey pokey uh, uh, is a that, fun way to presence yeah peace. yeah and i think that's so important you know um 
recently, I, I mean, I, I had this career in integrative medicine. And um, in March this year, the, the Medical Journal of Australia, which is sort of quite a conservative medical, you know, peer-reviewed medical journal, did a little, little piece on my career. And it was labelled Finding the Fun. Because that's always been my focus. You know, how can I have the most fun in my own life? And now as I've matured, I've realised I can have the most fun in my own life by creating fun for other people. But I think that's lost in a lot of conversa conversations about world peace and about, you know, survival and access to drinking water and, and food for people in the third world, the developing world, that, um, you know, we, we need to, you know, you know if we're going to have world peace, it's not just sort of this peaceful world where everyone's, you know, got their basic needs met. It's a world full of fun. And, you know, I'm, you know, I, I find personally, I have the most fun around water. I mean, I love to, you know, go to the beach. I love to kayak and swim and snowboard and ski and, um, you know, splash and, you know, play with the children and just, deli you know, delight in water. And, you know, when you're hot, you know, I've been, you know, I go to places where it's really hot and just having a little spray bottle with a bit of water and, and feeling, you know, fairy drops of rain going on you when you're really hot. It's just, it just delights the senses. It's just the you know, water is and bathing and, and that is a lot of fun. So I think, yeah, I mean, you know, world peace has to, you know, it, it has to be fun um, or people aren't going to do it. And water is naturally a, a great source of fun. I've got, I've got um, friends that own hot springs and they're making, you know, water theme parks. And we have so much fun just designing experiences that we can do in these sort of hot water theme parks um, to create fun for people. But, it, but it, providing, um, you know, even just a little bit of water to people who don't have it, you can, you know, you just see the delight in children's faces, you know, if there's a, you know, broken fire hydrant on a hot day and they'll splash around and play in it. It's just, um, water's an incredible source of fun. And think of all the water sports and water activities that, um, that, that are available to us. So, yeah, um, fun is, is, is a central focus, I think, um, for, transforming people's experience because if it's not if it's not fun they're not going to do it yes <laughs> it's interesting right that but a lot of people i think fun is a muscle also kind of like will is a muscle or imagination is a muscle and the, i was thinking about your vision quest here and having all of you know the bathers from around the world come to one place in australia and how amazing and fun that is to envision a world with water and with you know bathing for all and doing that in a sense of community you know we we really presence for each other the spirit of our lives by being in community by sharing like you said and uh, water really does bring that forward for all of us doesn't it absolutely i mean and, and communities used to form around the village well yeah you know it was a source of water that communities would actually gather around that would be the focus for communities and um, hot springs have, through all traditions, have been have been sacred places. Even you know when there was you know, wars going on, that often the hot spring would be like this neutral zone where people could come and heal. So you know, water is this this focus uh, of of community health and well-being as well as individual health and well-being. And in fact, um, if you look at hot springs, um, you know, they're the, the hot springs are the the most sustainable commercial enterprise on earth. There, there are two hot spring um, businesses in Japan that are the oldest place-based businesses on earth. They've been going for 1,300 years as continuous businesses. And one of them has been in the same family for more than 50 generations. 
So that's sort of you know the definition definition of a sustainable business model. So you can you can um, survive thirteen hundred years and fifty generations. That's incredible. My my background is in Japan, so I spent a lot of time in those hot springs, and I know the healing and restorative powers that are there, and how much of a community event it is. Um, you know, just the relaxation, the nature of being in in nature, the nature of nature itself, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And that's also a pretty powerful conversation. I know that that's been a part of what you've been doing too, is looking at you know nature as a healing method, which of course water being one of our you know the elements of nature. Oh, yeah. and, and then again, if you go in, if you look at hot springs, because hot springs are the most diverse environments on Earth. You know, well, I mean, water. Um, you know, you can go from you know sub. I mean, water can be liquid just you know below freezing in the oceans, but then you know up to a hundred degrees centigrade plus in hot springs, and life will still be there. Mm-hmm. And in fact, you know, I've been doing some research on what I call the bathing biome. And that's the exploring the microbial activity in bathing water. And we all, you know, there's a lot of research now on the microbiome, which is the genetic diversity of the bacteria within our guts. Well, the bathing biome explores that within um, our bathing water. Because when you bathe, you actually share bacteria. You share, you know, um, you know, microorganisms. And that actually may be a healthy thing. You can maybe inoculate yourself with healthy bacteria when you share, you know, in communal bathing. But the... The DNA polymerase enzyme you use to, to do all these genetic studies. In fact, the, the basis of biotechnology and, and you know, modern um, you know, genetic research comes from a bacteria from a hot spring in Yellowstone Park. Um, so that they found this thermostable DNA polymerase, so this enzyme that could survive in high temperatures in a hot spring bacteria. And that enzyme is what's used for, for all the genetic research that we do nowadays. Um, it derives from a hot spring bacteria. So, and you know, the, so the tools we're using to study the diversity of life in these extreme environments and these extremophile bacteria actually comes from, you know, the toolkit comes from these bacteria themselves um, in these environments. And, and there's still so much we need to learn about water itself, but, but how life interacts um, in these extreme environments and how we can interact and, and how we can find peace and, in our own extreme environments. When I, I think I read where you were talking about um, letting go of the war on our own microbiome, on our own microbes in our body, whether it was you know through um, too many antibiotics or mm. pesticides or you know chlorinated water, and it was kind of interesting. You know, peace and war seem to go together, but when we declare an end to war in our mm-hmm. own internal system, naturally peace arises. That's that homeostasis you were talking about, you know. Yeah, and, and I think since the Second World War, we have had this attitude. I mean, if you look at the, the pesticide industry and you know, that, uh, um, that, and fertilizers and the way we um, treat water, these are war chemicals. You know, chlorine gas was a First World War, you know, um, poison gas chemical. Now we, we, we use that in our drinking supply. And, I mean, the reason why they use chlorine is it's such a good poison. You know, it kills life. But, um, you know, what's that doing to the life within us when we drink water that's chlorinated? Now, sure, we don't want to have pathogens in water. I mean, you know, waterborne pathogens are a huge cause of disease. But I think now that there are technologies we can use that um, we don't have to declare war on life 
to avoid pathogens. So the use of you know pesticides and herbicides and you know, chlorine in our water and antibiotics in our bodies, where we're actually killing life to achieve health, um, is becoming an outdated approach. So now I think you know the next approach is to, you know, how do we make peace with life? How how do we enhance life to improve our health and well-being? And that is going beyond you know antibiotics and pesticides and, and disinfectants to get rid of bacteria because we're never going to make sterile environments. So water does not want to be sterile. Um, but how do we enhance the good, you know, commensual, the, you know, the healthy bacteria, the healthy uh, microbes um, within our environments, within our bodies, on our skin, in our bowels, etc., in our bathing water? And how do we share them? So then the bad ones don't have a, don't get a foothold. And there's still a lot to learn with that. Uh, um, you know, fecal microbial transplants, you know, poo pills are becoming, um, you know, a really effective treatment for, for otherwise untreatable diseases like, you know, Clostridium difficile, um, you know, uh, infections, which, you know, kill, I think, 40,000 people in the US, um, which are resist resistant to antibiotics. But we still don't understand, you know, what makes a good fecal donor? You know, what is, what is the, the good combination of bacteria that's, that's optimal? So it's still got a lot to learn, to learn about that, but certainly it's not optimal using antibiotics to just blast all the bacteria. Um, and often then you get this overgrowth where you, you, first of all, you get antibiotic resistant bacteria, because you know, some will survive and they become resistant, but you can get this overgrowth of pathogenic bacteria that you can't, you no longer treat. So I think you know, we need some new approaches. We need to make peace with the life around us and certainly you know, microbial life. And that's a whole transformation that has to happen within medicine and within our own bodies and within our own, within our own attitudes and our own attitudes to life. Um, and yeah, a lot of that anti-life um, approach, as I say, pesticides, disinfectants, antibiotics, etc. Has come out of out of the war, you know, the the, the second, first, and second world wars. There's um, an approach which is, you know, literally, you know, very violent and anti-life. And now, with knowledge and understanding the the genetic diversity and what's what's good and what's bad, and understanding water and water treatment systems, we can you know become more harmonious with the world around us. And and I think, you know, if we want to realise worldwide wellness, if we want to achieve peace on Earth, then we have to achieve peace with the, with the life around us. And, and now, you know, we're turning to biotechnology to, you know, to reclaim toxic water, you know, bi bioremediation for toxic um, water and for toxic um, waste sites is becoming the most effective ways to, to transform, you know, toxic environments into healthy environments. So we can use bacteria to mop up oil spills and to reclaim plastics and... and um, help unpollute the world, but we've got a long way to go. And um, we, you know, they're saying by 2050 there'll be more plastic in the oceans than fish. Um, and you know, there's a lot of you know, if you if you look for the sort of the the doom and gloom, and there's there's so many statistics out there that suggest we're doomed. Now, I, I'd prefer to focus on you know, what can we do to transform things. And whenever I think about transforming things or you know finding a solution, I, for me it always comes back to you know, how, how do we get water to flow well, both in our own lives, but also with our, within our communities and globally? And so let's talk about that for a minute. What would a perfect world in 10 years for you look like? 
if we just put on our imagination cap and know that everyone has water, now what? Well, if everyone has water, then you think about, you know, the 200 million hours spent every day that women and children, you know, women and, and girls spend collecting water. Now, and you think about everyone on earth already has access to pretty much all the world's knowledge. I mean, there, there are more cell phone, you know, smartphones on earth than toothbrushes or toilets, um, which is an amazing statistic. You know, there's more, you know, smartphones are like supercomputers and we have more of them than toilets. Um, so, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a world where we're at peace and everything is well, then certainly you know, everyone has access you know, to um, sanitation, to basic hygiene, to, um, you know, feeling good about themselves. And then, you know, once you have access to water, then food um, becomes easier to produce and to prepare. So suddenly you've got um, a world where, you know, people, people have access to food and water, and then they can, you have this incredible, uh, the potential for this incredible explosion of just human creativity. Um, you know, the whole, I, I imagine the whole, turning the whole world into a, like a, a wellness resort where, um, you know, there's only two classes of people and that's hosts and guests. So you're the host and as a host, your, your joy and your responsibility is to make a beautiful environment to share with other people. And that's a beautiful thing to do. And it's a very enjoyable thing to do to, you know, host parties and host people, host guests and create beautiful environments that people enjoy. And if you're a guest, you know, you can travel the world. And again, it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing to do is, you know, ex experience different environments and share cultural experiences and food and, and, and joyous occasions. Um, so, you know, so that way, if we create a world like that, then we can drop all these boundaries about immigration and these sort of artificial national um, bar barriers to say, you know, you can, you can or cannot go to this country or that country. You know, we become a global community and, you know, we distribute people around the world as, you know, as they feel to. Um, and you know, thinking that you know, there will be some places that are crowded because, you know, it's a big party there or, you know, people want to go to these incredible tourist spots and that's great, but, you, you, know, you, you know, you create the infrastructure to support that. I mean, I, I, you know, I can see that, there, you know, there are no more sort of wilderness places on Earth. Um, pretty much everywhere on Earth is a tourist attraction. I mean, you can go, you can, as a tourist, you can organise a trip to the top of Mount Everest, to the North Pole or the South Pole or you know, any place on the equator, there's, there's pretty much no place on earth that you can't ring up a tourism company within probably a day or two days go there. Um, so I think we're, we're becoming um, curators of the planet rather than, you know, rather than conquerors of the planet. I think we've voluntarily conquered you know, the world. Um, you know, the world is you know, a garden now that we have to tend. And to do that, you know, you know, we want to host each other. We want to create beautiful environments. And for me, a beautiful environment, um, you know, you want it to be clean. You know, you don't, you, know, you want it to, you know, don't want it to be a cesspool. You don't want it to be this industrial toxic waste site. So I think, but I, I, you know, we've got a lot of work to do to clean up, you know, the toxic legacy we've created over the last, you know, three, 400 years of industrialization and more. 
I mean, we're never going to escape entropy. Entropy is, you know, talking about first principles, you know, entropy is a reality that we can export entropy off the planet, which we do in terms of radiant heat, um, rather than, you know, the policy what's been in the past is the solution to pollution is dilution, mm-hmm. which means, you know, that the air and the oceans have become entropy sinks where we can just chuck our waste. And now we're realising that, you know, we need the air and, and the oceans. Um, so we have to, you know, change our definition of what is local and what is um, our own environment. And we realise the whole world is our own environment and start to work out ways to, yeah, transport entropy off planet, which the, the best way to do that is just in radiant heat, you know, radiate heat back out and that gets rid of the greenhouse effect and all of that. So and that's why, you know, cl- climate change is due to this radiant heat staying on Earth and causing the, the increase in global temperatures and, and you know, changing climate. So, and creating systems that um, are much more efficient in terms of um, providing the resources we need, which is, you know, and, and humans, we don't need that much to feel good. You know, certainly in the Maslow's hierarchy, we all need, need, need water and food and shelter, but, but we also need um, companionship and, and, and a creative outlet. So I see, you know, the, in ten, I don't know if 10 years is, is achievable. I mean, I'd love to think it is. But, you know, a world that's fully well, that where we've got equitable distribution of resources. And, and I think that's the most critical factor at the moment is wealth inequality in terms of, you know, the health issues we face. Wealth inequality is at the heart of all of them. Um, but if once we, we solve that issue, then we have this incredible explosion of the arts, of music, of dance, of... Um, community gatherings um, and, and in ways that we can't even imagine because when you when you add you know artificial intelligence and virtual reality to that then we start create world you know, there's, there's no worlds that we can't create we're just limited by our, literally limited by our imagination but at the moment i mean who gandhi said you know if um to a starving man you know bread is god you know um so you know if you don't have access to water or food then it's hard to explore other creative pursuits. So it's um, yeah, getting, getting the basics right, getting the water to flow well, getting you know, food distribution, and then you know, leave it up to people's creativity. To let, let's create a world of wonder. Um, you know, the, and you know, I, I can imagine forms of, of dance and human expression and I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of doomsday talk about AI. The AI want to keep people around once, you know, artificial intelligence gets more smarter than us. And I think it will because I think a world with people is more interesting for an AI to be involved with. Because um, we can do things that an AI can't, or at the moment we can. But, um, you know, for us to make the world an interesting place and for the world to be interesting, you know, to, to have different levels of social interaction, um, whether it's dance and music and art and creativity, we, there's so much we can explore as human beings once we've covered the basics. Um, but it's still having access to that peace within, as I said, that, that thing that connects all of us. And if we come from that place, then we're not limited by our own sort of concept of ourselves, of our own limited world, our own limited needs about the I, about you know, what's in it for me, that selfish need to, you know, how much money can I make or, you know, fix me, you know, it's all about me. 
once once we've got that inner peace, we can break out of that ego shell and say, you know, I don't have that fear about my own security. What can I contribute? And um, you know, imagine a world where we're all contributing to each other. And, and for many years, I've had this, um, and I've talked about this, uh, a mindset that I call pronoia. And pronoia is the opposite of paranoia. So paranoia is when you think the whole world's you know, plotting, to, plotting against you. Well, pronoia is you know, the, the attitude to think that the whole world is plotting to make you happy, that there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and and yeah, you know, most people, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a strange concept to, to them, but they understand paranoia really well. But um, if you think about all the things that are in your life, you know, just the food on your table, that, you know, they're, they're, you know they've probably got rice from India, you've got, you know, spices from all over the world, you've got, you know, ingredients from all over the world. So there were farmers, you know, a year ago who had to plant a seed to grow that, to, to put that food on your table. There's probably, you know, tens of thousands of people who contributed to the, the meal on your plate. Um, we're all plotting to make you happy to give you that meal. And, and I realized that both pronoia and paranoia are delusional because the universe isn't plotting to hurt you and the universe isn't plotting to help you. It just is. The universe is just at peace. But then you also realize that if you're going to be deluded, you can consciously choose your delusion. <laughs> That's a great way of looking at it. I really yeah. love that. You can and, and it's so, yeah. Consciously choose your delusion. And it's so much more fun to choose the delusion that everything's out to help you. Yeah. And, and when you look at the world that way, it helps, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because even if some hardship arises, you know, maybe it's a disease or a financial or social situation or some, something that's really challenging, you can say, well, the universe has given me this for, you know, for a reason to make me happy. So you then reframe it and you find the opportunity in that, um, in the challenge and, and the personal growth opportunity or, or whatever it is. And, you know, for, I've always thought that for every negative thought you can have, there's at least one, usually probably infinite number, but at least one equally powerful and equally valid positive thought you can have to replace it. And that becomes a personal practice. You know, I'm thinking this bad thing. Okay, it's interesting. I, I acknowledge the bad thought. What's the equally powerful and equally valid positive that I can have to replace it with or to balance it with? And you know, you found that positive thought when you can hold the, the negative thought and the positive thought together and you find peace because yeah. you know, the, the thoughts have the emotional charge. So if you've got a, a negative thought with an emotional charge, you have to find a positive thought with an equal and opposite emotional charge to then find that peace and, and you know, to, be, to be at peace with both of those thoughts and just to be happy with what is. So that's, um, yeah, I think playing with our thoughts is also really a, a powerful exercise. And we can do that through our bodies and say hot and cold showers and, and other things to, to practice, you know, challenging our, our self to find that peace within, no matter what's happening without. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you really presenced it for all of us when you said, you know, to, it comes back to creativity and curiosity and wonder. And these are the natural uh, processes of humankind. It, you know, as far as we know, it's what distinguishes us from other life forms on the planet, right? The ability to stand of wonder and curiosity. curiosity. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there, and there's so much, you know, more that we can explore. And, and as I said, there's 72 anomalies of water we still don't understand. Um, 
you know, once we can understand water better and, and ourselves better, I mean, we are water, so for to know to know thyself is to, to know water. Um, but also, as, it's, as you said, you know, um, you know, have, have fun with it. How, how can we transform this world into a, a fun park? Um, and, you know, and, and we can get AI to help us. Because um, certainly, you know, global resource distribution isn't ideal right now when we just look at the capital, you know, the free market economy. But, you know, if we, if we set up an AI that, to distribute resources in the most entropy-efficient way, you know, to minimise global entropy production. Well, there's, that's an algorithm. That's a, you can design an algorithm around global entropy production that an AI could work with, that could work with humanity to minimise entropy production. And then you're minimising pollution, you're minimising pain and disease and, and you know, inequalities and, you know, entropy gradients can be, um, you know, studied and mapped and optimised. And th these are all things that are programmable and achievable. So yeah, I'm I'm very optimistic, <laughs> and I don't think it um, it doesn't require any more effort to be optimistic than it does pessimistic. It on your part, right? No, no, it's a mental out. discipline. It's it's a discipline and it's a practice, but it's a very joyous personal practice. And I, and I think some people may they enjoy their pessimism. I mean, they're just going to be you know, depressed and pessimistic. But, but to feel that they're trapped in that and that's the actual reality, that they, you know, everything's so hard and the universe is out to hurt me and the world's doomed. And, you know, you can get into that negative spiral, that, that the downward vortex rather than the upward wellness vortex. Um, you know, people, they can be stuck in that and to realise it it's, just, it's just your thoughts and there's a, there's a whole other side of things that's equally powerful and equally valid. So having that mental discipline to... to to look for those, those, the upside rather than the downside to everything is a, a really great way to reframe circumstances. That's beautiful. And I think what you said too earlier about realizing, you know, re reality really is what we're seeing through our own eyes and our perception comes inside mm -hmm. the mind from what we're seeing for that reality. We know that there is not one reality. That's it. We create it every moment. Yeah. And, and to realize something is an internal shift as much as it is an, as an external creation. Yeah. Well, so beautiful. I'm sure that we could talk for hours more, but I know that you're a very busy man. So thank you for addressing the AI conversation. That was a big part of um, what I think people want to know, because when we talk about nature, sometimes we um, gloss over the fact that we're creating these artificial intelligences or technologies and some way we say, Oh, well, they're, they're not really going to assist us. You know, they're only going to hurt us. But I, the truth is we're creating them and we yes. can create as we go. Uh, absolutely. And as first principles we can create that yeah. they can follow, that we also follow that are part of the universal laws of physics and, and biology that will make sense to AI as much as it makes sense to us and, and we'll create alignment. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I, I think that you know AI will keep us around and maximize, you know, help us turn this you know whole planet into this um, you know health and wellness retreat for humanity to hang out in. Um, yeah, I think that's achievable. Well, and certainly we can all start with June twenty second as World Bathing Day. Yeah, well, there's um bathetheworld.org. There's okay. a website. There's a petition on that to uh, we're um, 
getting signatories for the petition to the United Nations to the United Nations to ratify World Bathing Day. But we're going ahead this June 22nd in hot springs around the world. But anyone who's taking a bath can contribute to that that consciousness. And then um, in 2020, we're going to have the the Big Bathe the World event in Dalhousie Springs in the centre of Australia. We're we're just doing the preliminary. We've just um, been in consultation with the indigenous owners to get them to agree to host the, the land and host the event and, and on, on this incredible sacred site. It's the most amazing hot spring, you know, acres of hot water in the middle of the desert there. Um, and, and then people can just do the cold water hokey pokey and transform their own world through bathing and just see how that feels. Yeah. Thank you for what you're doing in your community. Thank you for what you're doing in the world community. And thank you for giving each of us something that we could do for ourselves. It's really, I think you've empowered us in a lot of ways today. And I know that your life is a testimony to all of that. And so I just want to say thank you again for being here, for taking your time. It's been a lot of fun talking with you. It's, um, even though we're on the other side of the world, it's been quite amazing how we can do this. Mm-hmm. So thank you for all you do. I th- and I think this discussion is a really valuable one to, to be had. And thank you for furthering it. And I've really enjoyed our conversation and um, look forward to staying connected. So thank you. That sounds, sounds wonderful. All right. Well, this is just such a beautiful opportunity for all of us. So we're going to stay connected to you because we know that what is up and coming, we're all going to be a part of. It's, it's for every one of us to take action in it today. Wonderful. I look forward to having everyone involved. Thank you again. If you would like more information, please visit our website at peaceamplified.com. May you have peace in your heart, peace in your community, and peace in your world.